Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Okay, welcome to episode 49 of Running Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Hudfield. Now, missing in action today is Matt Wolfman North. Uh, he's been riding the employment roller coaster. Uh, not exactly sure he what, where he is right now, but last known sighting, he was getting into a recreational vehicle with a man named Heisenberg. So, stay safe, Wolfie. Our special guest today is Jock Campbell. Welcome, Jock. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for finally catching up. It's been been a little while, a little while coming. Number 49. I expect to be top 10, but 49, I'll, I'll take it. We're about top to raise, raise the bat for the half century pretty soon, so getting close. So... Before we get cracking, we better uh, thank our partners of the, the podcast. So, Runella, Goo Energy, Sydney Brewery, Guy Meow Health Centre, and Fractel Running Caps. And uh, special thanks to Jimmy Carroll for looking after our sound. Thanks, Jimmy. So, Jock, we ask all our guests about their origin story, kind of like how Spider Man became Spider Man. So, how did you become the 2019 over 50 Australian 2K Beach Run champion? Where did this running caper begin for you, mate? Um, yeah, very interesting story. Uh, so for those that don't want to hear about it, time to switch off. Don't switch off. Because as a coach, when you become a coach, it's it's not about you anymore. It's about your athletes and what they do and what you can do for them. So, you know, I just still run because I like to keep fit, like to stop being fat. And um, I think whatever I ask my athletes to do, I like to show them that I'm prepared to do it as well. Um, but it's just, that's for me. So it's that's nothing to do with my coaching. It's it's kind of more for me. Yeah. Um, where it all started is I, you know, at school I was just fascinated by the physical side of, um, you know, the body. Uh, why some people are faster than others, why people look fitter than others, why people have bigger shoulders. I, I didn't understand it. No one could really help me mm. if, the, I had a good uh, PE teacher who was an ex-rugby player and um, the big cockroach, the big cockroach. Uh, yeah, Harry Farmer who's an ex-rugby union player for, some, for Port Hacking and okay. um, uh, he, he once punched me and knocked me over when I was year eight but I, I, I did deserve it <laughs> Great <teacher. laughs> yeah. and um, I went up for a bomb in his rugby team and I, I came down and landed on someone's head with my chin and it broke my jaw and I was lying on the ground and he Come back, he goes, Campbell, you cockroach, get up. <laughs> and so I got up and he's kind of, you're right, oh, yeah, I think so. And he slapped me in the face and he goes, oh, you're all right, play on. Wow. He, yeah. Tough love. But, oh, but, you know, I, he was really good. He, he loved his fitness and he, he, he sort of got me really into it. And he didn't know a lot about it, but he knew about working hard and he sort of taught me to work hard. Um, you know, great experience growing up with him as my teacher. Um but also I played rugby and cricket and I wanted to get faster for that. And yep. so that's how I sort of got into fitness. I wanted to be the fittest in the team and the fastest. And then, you know, when I was almost finished my HSC, I didn't really know what to do. Um, my mother and father found this course called Sports Science yep. and said, look, it's just around the corner at Oatley Campus, which was mm-hmm. part of New South Wales Uni. And um, I went, mm, that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did that, and I, I really got to thank them for finding that. I'd never heard of it. They hadn't really, but thought it really suited me. And in my course, I had a teacher that was a sprinter that ran for Queensland, mm-hmm. and he said, anyone that wants to uh, learn how to run or run with me, I'm going to get back into it. And I started with him, and uh, 
eight people turned up on the first day, and then it was just pretty much me and him for two years. So yeah, right. I learned a lot about running then, and yeah. and then I did. And my uh, one other lecturer, Paul Batman, he was our exercise physiologist and loved distance running. Mm. And so he made us. It was unreal. Our exercise programs and prescriptions. One was aerobic training, and he made us uh, do as part of the course. You failed if you didn't do this. Fitness testing. He set you a time. You had to do a 10k fun run in 12 weeks. You had to train twice a week with the uni, mm. um, and then two times on your own. If you didn't make the time, you had to do the whole subject again. Fitting, yeah. Yeah. Even there were professional rugby league players. We had prof- a professional cyclist in it. He said. I don't care what you do. If you don't do this, you don't pass. And what did you make you run? What was the time? It was the... Oh, he set me. It was like between 42 and 44 Oh, so specific to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah really right. spe- like That was from the fitness test that you worked out. Okay. And um, it was a Woodstock fun runner. I don't think it's on anymore over at Homebush. Yeah, yeah. It was unreal. Like we had, I, there was a, I went to uni with a rugby player and he was 105 kilo, a winger, mm. and he dropped 15 kilos in the training for this, yeah, he goes, mate, I'm getting thrown around on the <laughs> Got field. Got smashed now. on the field, yeah, yeah right, perfect. So, so that's sort of how it started, And but what really got me into the coaching side of things was, and the surf lifesaving, was I trained Nathan and Simone Cotter at Sutherland Pool, and I took them for their weights and their sort of out-of-water conditioning. They were iron men and iron women, and um, they didn't, they were in the Nutrigrade series and the Devondale series on TV, but yeah. they were really young. But they didn't have a running coach. I said, who does who you run? They said, oh, no one. And there was a lot of running in the sport in those days. Mm. So I became their running coach as well. And I used my exercise physiology background and coaching background to get into running. Yep. But I'd learned a lot from Paul Batman and, and um, Peter Abernathy, who was the sprint coach. Mm. Um, and so I got into it that way. And, and they end up uh, winning, Simone ended up winning the 94 world title and Australian title in Iron Woman and came third in the Devondale series at only age 17. And... Nathan came second to Trevor Hendy in the Ironman then, and he, he yeah. did, just had a phenomenal world title. Um, and they encouraged me to join the surf club. And that stage, my cricket career was, I, I well and truly had enough of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd done quite well, but I was, you know, really wanted to try this beach sprinting, and, and that's how I got into it. Yeah, okay. And, and so were you a Wanda originally there, like straight, straight to that club, or where did you start? Um, they were from North Cronulla, and they said, don't join our club, it's too political I said and so I went and joined Allura um, but the girl that was taking me for my bronze medallion uh, didn't turn up three weeks in a row and so I said I'll try it next season and so the next season my mate Zane Campbell who I also coached as a rugby league player at Cronulla um, he was going to wander as well we we just by fluke joined on the same day and so yeah then it was it was wander and um, as I say it was all about beach sprinting and beach flags and relays in those days mm. and that's what I did and and um, there was, wasn't really much coaching down there at that stage so I took over the coaching pretty much straight away and have been there ever since yeah. and um, and then the 2k run came in about oh, 14, 15 years ago mm. and I just used to train with the athletes I was coaching and loved the race it was unreal race so um, yeah I just started joining in Okay. And, and so, yeah, end up being Australian champion over 50s this year. It's amazing. Well, I, I kind of figure if I'm telling these guys what to do, I've got to do quite well. Yeah. Um, and I had two discs replaced in my back about oh, a year and a half ago now. Okay. And I, I thought in my mind if I could get back to winning a national title for my age group mm. and a world title for my age group, um, that would mean that that operation was really successful. So, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, it was... 
And I wanted to show the kids that, you know, you can come back. Everyone gets injured, but yeah. you can come back from it and find there's something you'll be able to do. You, mm. you might not be able to do everything you used to do, but you'll be able to do something. Fantastic, mate. It's a good, good story. And so as part of that sort of surf club stuff, where, where did Jock Athletic originate from? Most people in southern Sydney probably know the brand, I guess, but where did it, where did it start up? Well, I um, was working with the Australian cricket team and I blew out both my shoulders, the first one from throwing a lot. So um, I was a strength and conditioner for the Aussie side and you're on tour 10, 11 months of the year. So when I say on tour, you're working every day, you're at training, you're at matches, um, it's just non-stop or you're travelling in between games and training. So there's no home base for the Australian team, you're just touring all the time. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't have a big support staff then, so you're often throwing balls to the, to the batsmen in the nets and, you know, you throw way too much and then you might have five days off and not throw and your spotting guys are taking for boxing. So yeah. uh, you, you're, you're pretty much overworked. Um, and I'd get back home, my shoulder would be sore and I'd get a bit of physio and play on. Yeah. But it got to the stage where um, my right shoulder, I couldn't open a door, I couldn't throw anything. So I started using my left shoulder a lot more and then it blew out. Not so, mate, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was a really good asset to the team then. Um, so I had to get both of them pretty much reconstructed, okay. um, tendons sewn back on the, the bone. And I wasn't sure, I couldn't do the job anymore. Uh, so I wasn't sure what I would do. Um, had a lot of opportunities to do professional teams, but... I wanted to get back home more and I'd had a baby and um, was married and so uh, we just thought of, of ways and I, I talked to my mate who owns Skins, Jamie Fuller, and said, look, man, I'm, there's a Gatorade Sports Science Institute and they do research on sport um, and hydration and, and all that stuff and, and I thought that was a great idea and I thought, wouldn't it be good if we could set up an academy that used that research and actually helped develop athletes? Mm. So... He thought it was a great idea, and he really supported the idea. And then I went to uh, my mate Watto, Paul Watson, who I went to uni with, yep. and um, I said, mate, haven't you had enough of this footy caper? He'd worked with rugby league for a long, long time. Yep. And he said, probably you have. And I said, would you want to come out and be Paul with me, and let's set up a business where we train athletes. <laughs> we'll get a gym, just to, and we'll take them for their training and... Um, you know, do all the high performance stuff we've learned in sport, elite sport, and just bring it to the local community and help develop athletes from, you know, and at that stage we were thinking just sort of adult athletes and then we worked out that we had a lot of children that wanted to come and, and we worked out quickly that children actually eventually turn into adults. <laughs> Surprise. It took us a while. <laughs> and so you work with a lot of kids now? Yeah, we um, we do uh, wander nippers, and we, we have we have a big junior program. Yep. And the the greatest thing for me is to see those juniors come through our system and and come out at the end and and go to you know one continue to play sport at a reasonable level. And there's only a very small amount of them they're going to be professional or highly successful. But we've got athletes now all over the world mm. that have actually made that jump that we've helped get through there, and they may have got there without us, but you know, it's fantastic to see. Like um, Mark Milligan is mm. one that yeah. came to us and rehabbed his groin when he had osteitis pubis for, you know, he was here for months. Mm. Um, and to see him now captain of Australia and been to four World Cups and won an Asian Cup, you know, that that's so exciting for us. And yeah. Chris Economides, who just got player of the year for the A-League mm. last season. Um, and then even I was just watching TV the other day and Tim Van Gooten, um, who's a professional cricketer, he's playing for Holland in the um, – and they he, he took three for nine and 
help get his team through to qualify for the World T20 next year for Holland. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so it, all these things are happening and you, you see it on TV and go, oh, there's Tim. I, I wonder where he was at the moment. So for, for us, that's just fantastic to see these guys go through the ranks and us help develop them and be part of their journey on the way. And um, we feel it's a positive part and, um, yeah, we just love it. I've got no doubt it's a positive part, mate. That's that's fantastic. And tell me, what, what makes a great beach runner as opposed to a great trail runner or road runner? Are there differences there, mate? Or yeah, the, well, what makes a great athlete is um, the same in all sports. You know, a good worth ethic, um, particularly for in running, where it's it's very hard to do well at it. You've got to work really hard for consistent periods. Um, be willing to hurt a bit. And actually enjoy it. Um, you know, I've had lots of talented runners that don't actually enjoy running, mm. and I know they're not going to last very long. They might they might keep fit and do a bit of running, but they'll probably go to a different sport because mm. it is so hard. And you know that minute amount of people are highly successful at it. Yeah. Um, so yes, to answer your question, sand running, uh, yeah, it's a different technique. Um, to not not hugely different, but yeah, it's far more hip flexor use because the surface moves yep. so you actually got to get out of the sand a lot more so lift the knees a bit more yeah more more the foot out more of the foot. yeah think about pulling the foot out okay. so w- once you get to full extension of your leg you've got to get it out quickly and okay. and it's easy for me to say that yeah, yeah. it's very difficult to do so yep. it's yep. a bit more like cycling than than um than actually running and uh and the the big thing is you know there's a lot of myths around you know it slows down your leg speed but in the testing I've done, our leg speed of our sand runners is actually quicker when they're on the sand than it is on the road. Is that right? Yeah. So, and to be honest, I don't care what anyone else thinks. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of success at it over a long period of time, mm. and the testing I've done, I know that works. Yeah. So, man, it really doesn't worry me what anyone else says. We're just, you know, working on it for our runners. Yep. But um, Perfect. But a, a good track runner doesn't make a good sand runner, yep. but that doesn't mean they can't be a good sand runner. It's... It's getting that experience and whether they're light and get a feel for that sand, and it takes time. That technicality takes yeah. time drilling, yeah. Yeah, and just because you're good on the sand doesn't mean you're going to be good on the road. But, yeah. I mean, I always give the example of uh, my wife, Mel Campbell. She's phenomenal on the sand, really light on her feet. And um, But Elsie Wellings is a phenomenal track runner. But you put them both on the sand, and Mel would comfortably beat Elsie. Okay. And you, you ask Elsie that, and she'll say it. Yeah. But then you put them on the track, and Elsie would, you know, lap after lap after lap. Mel, so not, not too many people beat Elsie. That's on the track. that's right, and, yeah, and yeah. so, but that's that's the difference. It is, and so, mm. you know, at the last World Titles, the Kenyans brought a, a track runner to take on yeah, Ali right. in the on the sand, and they're all and the commentators and everyone in surf life saying, oh, there's this great track runner from from Kenya. That's and mate, he didn't even feature. Like he, he right? like off the start, Ali. Ali and 10 other runners have blown him away. Okay. So, you know, it's it just doesn't mean, you know, not one is better than the other. It's just different. A different and, beast. Yeah. And, you know, if, if people don't rate sand running, I don't really care. I love it. Mm. And my runners love it. So, you know, I, you know, there's mountain running, there's track running, oh. there's mud running, there's... Yeah, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, that's there's... right. So, you know, not everyone... It's not for everyone. Mm. And... But that's what I like doing. I, I love cross country. I love athletics. Mm. I love cricket. They're all my major sports, but my sport at the moment, the one that my back handles, is sand running, and yeah. and that's my that's sort of my passion. Mm-hmm. Of course, mate. You seem to incorporate a lot of strength and mobility training into your runners' training week. What do you see as the most sort of obvious or common areas of deficiency leading to injury and poor performance in runners specifically? 
Well, it, it, that that's what what you said just then is that it, it's it's not a common thing. Everyone's different. Mm-hmm. So, like, let's let's look at two cricketers: Glenn McGrath, Jason Gillespie, both six foot four, mm. between six foot four and six foot five, both tall, fast bowlers. Both have exceptionally different bodies. Uh, Dizzy's, uh, which is Jason Gillespie, he was really tight. If you looked at squats, his back hurt. Whereas McGraw was hypermobile and he could do squats, deadlifts, power cleans, no worries. He, he, he grew up doing them, so he was really comfortable with them. So the training for them was totally different. Yep. Like um, Just to keep Jason flexible enough to be able to bowl and, and avoid injuries and keep his range of motion, we worked every day on his flexibility where... McGrath at the end of a match and say, mate, everyone's got to stretch down. Can you just look like you're doing something so that everyone else will do it? <laughs> but but that's it with runners. Like, you know, obviously hip stability is a big thing. And, and this is where I've come into uh, running coaching in a different way. I've, I've come from sports science, strength and conditioning background, um, exercise physiology. So I'm very much an energy systems-based running coach. Mm. Um, that he's has then done all these levels in athletics um, and surf lifesaving running, so the coaching courses um, to bring my skills up with coaching technique. Yep. So um, the what we do is we screen athletes, and so very much strength and conditioning is a big and stability is a big part of our programming, mm-hmm. as is flexibility and mobility. So they have the right range of motion for. The, the, enough mobility for the right range of motion. They have to have good posture because that, when we run, any postural deficiencies is going to bring out eventually an injury. Um, so that's the injury prevention side of things. Yeah. But then we want efficiency and and improved performance. So two different but highly associated things. Yeah. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking at one to get your body functioning well and in good posture, and then two to increase your strength, power, and then power endurance. Mm-hmm to be able to go further per stride yep. so without any extra effort and that's what you know improved performance is yeah of course and, and how often do you tend to schedule those I guess strength and mobility sessions within a runner's week then so uh, let's go to Ali who's one of our key runners yep. um, he does you know he runs six days a week often double runs mm. so that's his major so he's a runner so that's his major um, work he mm. needs to do that's the priority then we've got, you know, after every run, he'll stretch and roll down to maintain his flexibility. And then he's doing two or three gym sessions where we arrange it so with the sets and rep range, he's not going to put any size, yeah. but he's going to increase his strength and power and stability. Mm-hmm. And then we do our mobility sessions after those or within that session as well. So two or three mobility yeah. and strength sessions and stretch downs are critical for keeping the muscle returning to its resting length. Yeah. So, as Elsie would say, she just relies on Errol, Errol the yeah. great Errol Alcott, yeah, to yeah, stretch yeah, it yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you can't afford that and you're just an amateur runner, that's what you need to do. Yeah, but then you've got someone like Mel, as I say, my wife, who she goes, oh, my hamstring hurts, this hurts. That. I said, yeah, because you're not doing your strength and stability. She goes, oh, no, I don't do it. I know I should do it, but I don't do it. <laughs> so um, so that's, that's, that's the range. But... Any of our runners that start running, so we get them quite young and they might start with one or two run sessions a week. Mm-hmm. Once they go to three run sessions a week, when they get to that age, we then push them, look, you need to do at least one strength and stability session, yep. uh, preferably two. Mm-hmm. And so the serious ones, we always get them in there and it's more a maturity level thing rather than an age thing. So uh, Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, US and 
are British or recommend that kids as young as six to eight can do some resistance training. But I I sort of think it's more on based on can they take instruction? It's a very dangerous place, the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, And and can they, you know, are they mature enough to handle that? But we sort of don't get them in there until they're about 10. 10, okay. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. So so is Mel potentially your your toughest client then? (laughs) Does she do it? Oh, easily my toughest. Yeah, easily. (laughs) (laughs) She's... um, She's a reluctant runner. Uh, she, she's a very good runner, though. Very, very good. Um, but, you know, I have to convince her. And I, I, Okay, I'll give you an example. When I used to train a girl called Dee Cooper, who was still is a really good runner, um, was a, played for Australia in touch footy and, and just used to do well at the Sandhills on a Saturday. Yep. Um, and I said, why don't you join the surf club and I'll train you for this 2K event. It's a new event. And, mm. um, and so she did and got really fit. And, and I, I said to Mel, who... Um, you know, we'd been married for a couple of years and Mel knew Dee quite well. I said, why don't you come along and run with Dee and me, um, you know, on a Monday and Wednesday afternoons mm-hmm. um, just to keep fit because she liked running the Sandhills. And so she did. And then one day she was right up with Dee and I, she goes, are you guys trying? We go, oh, no, we're taking it easy today. <laughs> we're going, How well's Mel running? And uh, I said, why don't you do a few races? She goes, no, I don't want to race. I just want to train. <laughs> and so the day before state title, she goes, oh, what time are we racing tomorrow? I go, yeah, yeah. I go, what? I said, you told me you didn't want to race. She goes, oh, I just thought you'd enter me. I thought you'd know to enter me. I said, well, you've got to actually join the surf club and do your bronze. And anyway, so the <laughs> I next... year, no. Yeah, this is what I'm fighting with. That's, that's tough. Then the next year, she did all that. And the first carnival was a manly carnival, just a... It's quite a strong carnival, but and um, she was all nervous and rolling around, whacking me at night in, in bed. And I said, "What's wrong?" She goes, "I can't sleep. If you're not, if I'm not sleeping, you're not sleeping." I said, "What's wrong?" She goes, "I just don't want to come last tomorrow." <laughs> and so she ended up winning it, and uh, she won state, and then came second at nationals in her first ever year. And so that's what I'm dealing with. That's great. <laughs> Personalities and psychology, yeah. mate. That's tough, tough gig. So quickly going back to that strength and mobility idea, we've we've interviewed a number of. A number of mostly female runners, actually. Elsie being one of them, Steph Austin another, and just recently Sophie Brown, all really impressive runners, but have all deal, dealt with uh, the idea of stress fracture within their you know, their time as an athlete. So in, in your opinion, is this sort of stuff avoidable or is it one of these unavoidable parts of pushing the boundary of running lots of Ks? Do you, do you think it's possible to avoid this stuff? Yeah, well, I do actually. And um, when Elsie, we first met Elsie years ago and then she started writing for, we had an online magazine. And I asked her who was doing her strength work and she said she didn't really have anyone and she just had the Indy, the baby, and came came and she said, can you help me with my re-entry to running and gym and um, et cetera. And so I looked back at her history and she said she'd had 10 stress fractures in 10 years. Amazing story, and I, yeah. And I said, Elsie... Um, I get one, you know, maybe two from just not getting it right, but 10, don't mm. you think there might She goes, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, so all we did was got her on softer surfaces for most of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, we got her doing a stability work, a flexibility work, and, um, yeah, I, I think it is, and we don't tend to give our runners our stress fractures, particularly young ones, mm-hmm. um, and we just avoid doing too much track, Yep. Um, so even I think Elsie would only do one or two maybe track sessions a week now. Okay. Whereas um, our juniors, we only get doing one track session a week. The rest is on grass, sand, mm. um, trail, and so um, I got a stress fracture. Stress fractures in my shins 
when I was 17 from bowl, I'd bowl three hours in the nets, I'd run on the roads, I'd skip on the concrete, and I got stress fractures, and I went to see the great Errol Orcott, yep, yep. and uh, he always says, he goes, the biggest mistake of my life was letting you through my front door. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get rid of that. Yeah. And he said, mate, what are you doing everything on concrete for? He said, and I, and I worked out quickly that it's not the way to go through experience, and um, and I've done a lot of testing on in, ground impacts for not only fast bowls, but runners as well. Mm. And I know the difference between the impact on concrete to road to track to grass to trail at all the different paces. So, um, yeah, as I say, we don't... Like, we're very cautious with our... Particularly our young girls coming through. Mm. Um, We only get them to do their long run once they've got quite a... You know, a couple of years' experience in in running and we avoid all the hard surfaces. Mm. So, track's the hardest surface they go on. Um, and even Ali, I don't, you know, he's had never had a stress track. He's never been out for a long period of training. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, we, I think a lot of them are avoidable. Surfaces, shoes are, are a good one. But, you know, it's they don't have to win, win races at age 11 and 12. Mm. And, you know, it's we're not playing for sheep stations. And our biggest challenge and my biggest challenge is keeping people in the sport yep. when they're 18, 19, 20 and still doing well and still interested in it. Mm-hmm. So that's not just for running, but that's for cricket, that's for you know athletics, that's for surf lifesaving. I feel I don't have, I haven't done my job if they're out of it before then, yep. and that's what the parents should feel as well, and that's what I talk to the parents about. So, yeah, a lot of these are avoidable. Um, all your recovery techniques, all your stability, mm-hmm. uh, get the mechanics right, um, surfaces, Volumes, intensity. I think way too much emphasis is on volume. Yeah. So in, and this is going back to my sports science and strength and conditioning background, there are several different um, parameters in providing a program. One is volume. So there's your kilometres, and that's a really obtuse way to look at things. Yeah. yeah. There's also frequency. There's surf specificity of services. There's duration. There's intensity. Um, so there's so many different factors to look at mm. you can do 200 k's a week but how much of that is quality yeah so are you just training to be good at running for a really long time at a slow pace mm. or um are you getting you know so our runners will get like ali does three really heavy sessions a week and he's still times are improving since he started with me mm-hmm. his times are still coming down mm. seven years later so you know we, we've got to be doing something right of course there um Never had a stress fracture. He's done marathons. He's done um, the Red Bull races that are plenty of load, stupid, there, yeah. stupid distances. Yeah. Um, and his bone density is gradually built up. He had his bone density tested. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and his lower legs, uh, and that's you know, rarely running on the concrete. Mm. So, so it's truly that idea of progressive overload. You know, like you know, just gradual, gradual processes there until they're ready to hit their potential. I suppose so. Yeah, 100%. And, and always thinking you can improve. Like Usain Bolt used to try and still improve, mm. you know, into his 30s. Mm. Um, that's why we train so hard. You can always improve. Um, and to just accept that this is the level I'm going to get to when I'm mid-20s and that's the target times I should aim for. Well, yeah. Mate, you're, all, you're almost given up there. I bloody hope that's not the case. Yeah. I've been 40 this year, so... Yeah, there's still a bit of room there, I'm assuming. Oh, I reckon there is. 40 <laughs> still very young. Mate, so we're talking about the, um, the involvement with the Aussie cricket team. So from, from 2000 to 2005, you were head strength and conditioning coach for those boys. Um, 
I've read that during the 0405 cricket season, the Aussie team had their lowest injury rate recorded of all time. So as head of strength and conditioning at the time, what do you put this down to? Well, yeah, it was it was really interesting. 0304 and 0405 were the two lowest. Mm-hmm. They actually changed that the I've heard the doctors talk in seminars since then said that was just an anomaly. Okay. Um, so according so not, to them, yeah, nothing. So but, nothing to do with you then. Yeah. Please. So, but er, er, the the great thing back then was, was basically Errol Alcott, the physio, and myself. We were in charge of all the physical side of it, and we worked really well together. And we had the players working really hard, and they all bought in. Um, we had one head coach and an assistant coach, so we didn't have a. Um, there was no problems. Yeah, and there was no problems getting something in or doing something. Like when I started, I added weights into the program. They'd never done weights on tour before, really? and yeah, I just wow. uh, some of them obviously individuals did. Mm. And um, every athlete I'd ever worked with before the Aussie team, you know, I'd say, oh, you know, we can improve by doing X, Y, Z, and I said, right, our boys, I know it hasn't been in before, but we're going to do weights. I'm just going to bring in gradually, and um, it's going to help with X, Y, and Z, bowling faster, throwing harder, hitting the ball further, injury prevention. Oh, when are we going to fit that in? Oh, aren't we busy enough? <laughs> and so that was the initial response, and I went, oh, this is different. Yeah. Um, but once I got in on that first tour, or the um, then it was the next tour, it was, when are we doing weights, Jock? Okay. Um, and also, I just got them working. It, it was a really different time then we had part-time strength and conditioners in the state sides and I was full-time with the Aussie side so I had eight of the players living in Sydney so when we were back from tour I used to go and make sure they did their training every day okay. and, and Cricket Australia said no we don't want you doing that and I said well there's no one at New South Wales Cricket doing it because mm-hmm. he's on holidays and he ain't part-time I'm getting judged on how these boys go we want to win games mm-hmm. this is the best way to do it let me do it and no one was giving him bowling loads or anything so I just jumped in and and, and started made it up yeah well, well I made I, it up in, introduced in, it. yeah well I you know I was a bowler myself so I had a really good grasp of it I had a grasp of all the science mm-hmm. um, so I think it was just that Errol and I got them working really hard we worked really well together in um, the injury prevention management um, and I even remember Michael Bevan hurt his groin just before the 03 World Cup and it wasn't a significant injury. It wasn't bad. It was, like, barely a grade one. But, you know, he was an important player for us. So Errol said, righty And he just got out the thing. He goes, righty we've got, you know, two weeks. Um, we're going to take the full two weeks. We've got nothing to gain by getting him back before then. We probably could, but we're not going to. He'll be available for game three in the World Cup. And so then we, we'd go, righty That's Errol working with him three times a day, me working with him three times a day. Mm. Um and I got him down in that period down to run his fastest ever run three time. Mm. So you can see it wasn't that bad, but we didn't need him just to be able to run his fastest run at three time. We needed to be him to be able to do that again yeah. and again and again. Yeah. So getting that condition back in it. Um, and I remember going, taking him out, and Errol said, like, I'm going to let you do this, this, and this with him. Um, we got through it, and I rang Errol. It was early days of mobile phones. Hoot, uh, Bevo's got through that easy. I really want to take him for a bit more. He goes, yep, Okay. Um, but, you know, you being in charge and just don't go stupid. I said, yep, no worries. So we had a great working relationship in that respect. So I think that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. And in those days, it was good. John Buchanan just said, look, as long as you can justify what you're doing, go for it. I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't have all this red tape to get through. Yeah, right. We could just look after the athletes, and they really bought into it. That's fantastic. And mate, so 
as part of that Aussie cricket team at the time, you were at the height of the nerds versus Julio rivalry. <laughs> so, can you fill the listeners in on what this means, and uh, also on what your Julio outfit looked like? <laughs> well, they thought I should be in the Julios, but I chose the nerds. <laughs> So the nerds were the ones that just liked to get the job done, no fuss, weren't the show ponies. So Ali would have well and truly fit in the Julios category. <laughs> King of the um, Julios. You know, just the, just the good guys the nerds were that, you know, d- d- weren't flash, but they'd we just win. They'd always, you know, they knew how to win. Whereas the Julios, you know, they had the hair slicked back, they had the nice clothes on, they got the fake tan, they shaved their chest down. You know, they, they wore their Speedos out to training, nice. you know, all oiled up. Um, but didn't know how to win. They looked pretty, but, you know, just didn't know how to win. So um, <laughs> the interesting one was Ricky Ponting always tried to put himself on the nerds' side, but then he started wearing Versace shirts and driving around in a BMW. And so I put him on the on the Julio side, yeah, and he got yeah. very, very angry with me. It wasn't where you wanted to be then. No, no. no. That's, a damn shame. <laughs> That's a damn shame. So, so, <laughs> so you, you've recently launched a, uh, a program Cricket again. I'm sorry, Wolf, we're going to talk cricket for a bit longer now that you're not here, mate. Um, program for fast bowlers in conjunction with Mitchell Johnson called Bowl Fit. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, it's, it's a mobile phone app. Um, and so after I finished with Australia, I, I worked in India for quite a while with the ICL Indian Cricket League, which was a great, great experience and a great role. And then when I came back, I... I'd use GPS live on TV in India. It was The competition was run by a TV station. So I went to Channel 9 with the idea because Tony Gregg was part of this competition. He loved it. And um, so I got the GPS, the Gator Tracker or the Booper Tracker onto TV live and I was sort of the expert that would give commentators information on what it meant and give them stuff to say And but also had did pieces on the cricket show and... Um, which is what I really wanted to do, master classes on the cricket show. Mm. And uh, from that, we did a, I did a few DVDs with Mitch Johnson, Brett Lee, and Mike Hussey. And, uh, and then we decided to do a, a fitness app. We thought website, web-based to start with. And then a developer said, no, mate, go the app. Mm-hmm. Um, now, looking back on it, the cost of the app and the time... Yeah, to develop. It's very big. Yeah, right. Um, and I might have gone a different way, but... We've got the app and we put everything into it. So you subscribe, you, you do your fitness testing that we put up. It's got videos for every test, every, um, every exercise. And then from that, you put in your season start date and it spits out your program. Okay. So it's a weekly program. It's a smart app. So it adjusts. It adjusts your level, whether you've done the sessions or not. So if you missed your gym but did your conditioning, mm-hmm. your conditioning moves forward, but your gym Okay. Either regresses or, or stays the same. And same with your bowling. You put in your bowling loads and it tells you if you're bowling too much or not enough. It, mm. And it gives you your program so you know exactly what to do. And then once the season starts, if you have a game where you bowl 30 overs on Saturday, mm. the whole program adjusts for the next week. Okay. So it's very, very smart, which I'm sure you don't doubt because yeah. that's me. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, you know, Mitch was two-time International Cricket of the Year and yeah. um, one of our greatest ever bowlers. Um which I was lucky enough to work with and lucky enough to work with a lot of them. So all our programs that I use with Brett Lee and uh, Glenn McGrath and Jason Gillespie, all you young people wouldn't know who these people are. These guys know. They're a bunch of cricket tragedies, <laughs> surely. Uh, well, they're, they're in there and all the stuff that we used on Mitch and Mitch used, you know, it, it, it's all in there and it's multiple levels for 14 years and above. And so now it's been out for, 
almost three years, mm-hmm. um, and we've had guys going through it for three years progressing, um, and you know they're increasing their bowling speed. The injury, they tell me their injury rates are down. They're not getting injured. They feel great. They recover really well. So mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to get it on film uh, with Mitch before we got it too old to to demonstrate it. Yeah. So uh, which has happened now. It's too late. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, it's. Great, it was great doing it, great fun, and um, you know, it's really starting to get some traction now. Okay, and how much emphasis is placed on mustache growth in the program? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there might be some footage of him with mustache and without, (laughs) and we'd like to see the stats on how many wickets he got with a mustache and how many you know, compared to without it, or at least strike rates. It's definitely gonna help, it's intimidating. And it's uh, Mitch's birthday today, so happy birthday, Mitch. Happy birthday, Mitch Johnson, friend of the show, I imagine. Uh, do, you, do you think there's an application to, to bring that across to just straight running? Do you think there's, there's space for that? This is very interesting. Um, we've already filmed most of the one for uh, Mel. Mel's got this group called uh, Mother Runner, yep. and we filmed all the exercises and everything for the that app, mm-hmm. but that was on the proviso. This one's successful, so... We've got it all there, um, and the the way we've developed the the smart um, the smart what do you call it coding yep. um, will be really good for running. Mm. So um, yes, yeah, stay tuned for that one. Okay. So de- definitely, and and I think that's with most running apps, it's like here's your program. Yeah. But if you miss a session, which is real life, or um, you know the testing doesn't actually put you in the right program or yeah, yeah, yeah. so this is a really individualized and targeted program and for, fluid within that program as yeah well. and it'll include your your gym and your injury prevention stuff and your mobility and okay so yeah and, and right now we're doing a test group on mother runner to test out all our programs and yep. and get their feedback on it oh man that sounds yeah. fantastic i think that'll be very successful out, out of all of those cricketers that you've helped out who do you reckon would have made the best marathon runner mate Ooh, marathon runner. That's a good one. Uh, Brad Hogg. Brad Hogg. Uh, yeah, he got he got it well into the fifteens in the beat test. Fair and, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's and um, it's a good story. I'll tell you in a second as well. And um, he could do a ten k in about thirty two minutes when he wow. was at his youngest, and that was only from running maybe four times a week, so two speed and endurance and an, and an aerobic intervals. Yep. So, um, but in the O three World Cup, um, we were based in this. Uh, we're based in a place called Potchefstroom, mm. which a lot of athletes went to because it's on the same uh, timeline as, as Europe, yep. but it's at altitude and it's warm weather, and okay. so they'd, they'd go in their winter. And anyway, there wasn't a lot to do, um, but there was magnificent training facilities, so we'd, all we did was train. And, and um, on that, that's where Brett Lee runs his 11-second 100 metres, but that's another story. I was going to ask you about the 100 metres next, so Brett <laughs> yeah, Lee... Yeah, okay, I'll bring that one. But um, anyway, we'd flown in and we were all jet-lagged, and so the first two days of, after flying in, I claimed. So the coaches weren't allowed to take the creators down to the creek ground. Mm. I took them for pool and a bit of gym and just recovery. Um, and Brad Hogg said, oh, do you want to run home from the gym? And I went, yeah, sure, mate. And we had a, a security task force. South Africa was quite a dangerous place, but Pochestrom was a little country town. Mm-hmm. And they said, we've got to send someone with you. We've got to send an SAS guy with you. I said, well, mate, good luck keeping up with Hoggy. I can barely keep up with him. Yeah, right. um, and they go, no, he's SAS. He'll be fine, you know. And anyway, so we've run off and we just we weren't even going that fast. And this guy started running with us and we we noticed he, we were just chatting and we noticed he was gone. And I um, thought, oh, maybe he's, well, I don't know. We, we, 
And all of a sudden, he's appeared in front of us. The car had picked him up, dropped him off in front oh, of us. Oh, he was off the back. Yeah, oh, way off the back. And then he, <laughs> and, he, and we were just sort of gradually getting a bit faster. And, mate, I got back, and our security guy, Reg, I said, mate, you know how you said these SAS guys are really thin that? I said, mate, he was dropped after 500 metres. I said, and he, he would have got picked up three times by the car and dropped in front of us, and then within 100 metres, he was dropped off. And um, he goes, no, that's, no, that's rubbish. I said, mate, I'm telling you, it happened. Like, why would I lie about that? And he goes, no, no, if that happened, he would be in so much trouble. And found out that was the fittest guy in the thing. Yes, I yes, in yeah, Australia. Yeah, and, wow. but, mate, Hoggy was just such a good runner. Like, as I say, I was barely hanging on. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was actually young then, so I was quite fit. And uh, But, yeah, so Hoggy, Hoggy's okay. my man. And, and Brett Lee for the 100 metres then? No, no, I don't think so. Brett yeah. Lee was exceptionally fast and and. Fast bowling is a really running-based sport. So when I started with him, he was about mid-pack in the New South Wales team for speed. Okay. We worked so hard on his strength and power and running technique, he became the fastest in the blue squad And because mm. um, he had to run in over and over and over mm. again at really good pace. But um, And, yeah, we got him down to 11 seconds flat for the 100 metres. That's sharp. Yeah. That's and he just loved it. He was such a good trainer. Um but the fastest easily was Michael Bevan. Okay. Uh, he he would have he he could have run for Australia. I've got no doubt. He, like I got him when he later in his career, mm. and his naturally gifted speed yep. was phenomenal. His technique was magnificent. His his stride range was unbelievable. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, he he's been the best sprinter I've ever worked with. That's impressive. Yeah. There you go. Well, I guess that gives us a little bit of a segue. We're going to just quickly shoot over to Guy Mirallard Health and uh, grab a quick shoe review from Sean from Ranoa. Back in a sec. Okay, thanks for crossing over, Paul and Jock. Uh, so we're at Guy Mirallard Health and uh, we're here with Sean Tyndale, the, uh, the Ranoa godfather. How are you, mate? Fantastic, Paul. Yeah, good, good. Thanks for coming over today. We're here to chat about the, our latest sort of shoe review. So... We've been looking at the Asics Glide Ride. So what can you tell us about this one, mate? Yeah, it's obviously it's a new shoe that's uh, come on the market. Um, obviously, Asics released a Meta Ride previous to this, but this now is the Glide Ride, a um, little bit more for the mainstream market. And it's basically a new design from Asics. The design, a little bit of history, came from, or the designer of the shoe came from a Japanese expression, expression Koran Koran. I okay. hope my pronunciation is right. <laughs> and it's basically the sound something makes when it tips over and yeah. continues to roll. Koran Koran. Koran Koran. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and obviously as well as a bicycle. So those two expressions yeah. um, are basically two ideas that convey effortless, effortless coasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically the concept of that is carried throughout the design of this shoe. Okay, so um, rolling forward. Rolling forward, nice rolling action, sort of effortless action. Okay. And as you can see, it's got a very, very high toe spring, yeah. um, which is, you know, not like a normal ASIC shoe. A bit flatter than a normal ASIC shoe. Yes, yep. yeah. yeah, and it's very, very springy through mm-hmm. that forefoot, giving you that nice roll yeah. um, through the midfoot and... First impressions when we're fitting people in the shoe, it's very, very cushioned mm. through that midsole, um, and which a lot of feedback has been it doesn't feel like 
a traditional elastic shoe. Yeah, yeah. Very, very soft underfoot. Um, and obviously, it's it's got that nice light flight foam, mm -hmm. which is giving you that cushion and a nice injection of gel through the heel. Yeah. So if you are heel striking, it's um, giving you that nice good shock absorption and then rolling you forward. It's pushing you forward. Pushing off, you forward onto that forefoot and giving you that nice rolling action. Unreal. Yeah, they certainly uh, felt a little bit different straight out of the box. It felt like I was standing on clouds, to be honest. Yeah. It was yeah, really comfortable straight away. Um, you definitely feel that midfoot rocker straight away, so yeah. um, which is different to the other shoes I've, I've put on. But um, yeah, I, I loved them. I've had yeah some different runs through the week. I've done some easy road, some tempo road, a bit of treadmill, which is not usually my cup of tea, but thought I'd give it a crack yeah. on the treadmill. And then I took them out on the fire trail this morning. Mate, on the road, felt amazing. It felt yeah. like it was really pushing me off onto that big toe. Sort of the midfoot rocker was working to push me into the right sort of toe off position. Yep. And, and it felt... is. It's a neutral cushioned shoe category, so it is neutral. And I think you know, we've we've had the brand for a lot of years. It's I can't remember. It's a five mil drop. Okay. So from heel to toe, it's a five mil, and I think I don't know whether it's Asics first. I don't remember a five mil drop. Mm. Asics having the tradi traditional, uh, normally a eight to ten. Okay. So yeah, I was surprised when I I saw the heel drop, mm. but, but they so are quite built up. No, still quite built up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So obviously, someone coming from a an eight to ten mil drop shoe down to this. Mm -hmm. As I say, progression. Yeah. It may obviously recruit a little bit more of that Achilles calf because yeah, yeah. of that drop. Yeah. So it's just being aware of that when you when you're going in and making that transition and not going out all guns blazing. Yeah, I, I figure that as well. Like I'm probably traditionally midfoot toes sort of yeah striker kind of guy. So it wasn't such a big transition for me. But I think anyone who's in a you know, more heel strike situation, probably need to transition these over the course of a few weeks there yeah. just to, to stop that Achilles or calf pain. But I think the end result would be quite advantageous for them. I think it really does promote a, a, a nice strike and nice yeah. toe off there. And I started to feel better the faster I was running, to be honest. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think that's what the design of the shoe is to, to increase that cadence, yeah. um, get you running more efficiently. Yeah. Um, and which seems to be working. The feedback's been nothing but positive. Okay. Yeah. And it's a really good price point, $230. Um, it's not your, uh, your carbon plate. There's no carbon gold plate. branded. No uh, carbon plate in it yet. But, yeah, yeah obviously watching Kona yeah. and seeing the winner, Jan or Fredito or yeah. whatever his name is. He John. won. John or, <laughs> yeah, he basically smashed the record. Yeah. Um, and they're in a pair of ASIC shoes. Okay. Don't know the name of it yet. So, yeah. yeah. But the prototype watch release. this space. Watch this space. Yeah, they were saying it did have carbon in it. Okay. So, there you go. Mm. Could stick a piece of carbon in these easy yeah. enough, I'm sure. But yeah, look, I, yeah, I usually feel like a bit of a mid pack plotter, but I really did feel like I was picking my heels up and running, yeah, running quickly and running, running quite well. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all for them, mate. I think it's nice that they put them in the Running Matters podcast black and gold colours. That exactly. was a nice yeah, touch as well. well with the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I, had a, I had a couple of questions about them. I guess like, what have you seen the durability to be like? Like, because it's new. Mm -hmm. I haven't, uh, and it's just on. It's been out for probably a month, so we haven't oh, had, right. yeah, we haven't had that feedback. But okay. you know, I've, I imagine it would be 
like any other shoe, seven to eight hundred k's. Yeah, um, they feel solid. Like they yeah. don't feel like they're. No, I guess feedback I've, I've heard from the four percenter kind of stuff is they they, they wear down quickly. Yeah, um, but these feel like they've got a bit of warmth behind yeah. them. Yeah, so obviously as the shoe evolves and, and yeah. we we make more sales, more people are in it. Yeah. Um, it'd be good just to get that feedback. Yeah, yeah, back. Cool. Yeah, and what what about the weight on them? What are they? Oh, I, I exactly. I think they're around that. 200 okay so pretty lightweight pretty lightweight yeah, yeah 200 grams 210 yeah. grams so which which it's not a heavy shoe so no yeah. they don't feel like a lot definitely not no no and like i said they feel like clouds so mate i, I think as a uh, as, as a park run shoe as a you know, road sort of tempo shoe up to marathon stuff i, I think you, you you have some good value out of these yeah. ones personally exactly um, Tried them out on the trails, maybe so that was the wrong thing to do this morning. But yeah, look, they felt good on the fire trail as well. So I think as long as it's not too technical a exactly, run, you could yeah. get away with it comfortably. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I, I'll be using them plenty. That's for sure. Good yeah. to hear. So I've got um, got another little product to try out this, product this morning as well, which uh, yeah, I'm interested in. We've Sean's brought some cramp fix up. So we're going to have a little live taste test and, and see what we think. Yeah. Can you let us know what this stuff's all about? Cramp fix. Well, liquid gold, <laughs> as, uh, as customers that are buying it are telling me. Okay. Um, I used it as well I, um, in a lot of my bike riding that I'm doing at the moment. It basically treats the cramp through the neuromuscular system. Yep. Um, obviously, by putting orally into the mouth, mm. uh, basically... You take it, you don't have to swallow it. Yeah, swish it around in the mouth. Swish it around in the mouth, you can spit it out, yep. or you can swallow it. It does have some carbohydrates and good okay. nutritional value as well. All right. The coffee has seven grams of caffeine, so there is magnesium, potassium in it. So it's not just a cramp fix. It yep. does have some nutritional value as well. Yeah, yeah, cool. And basically, when it's in the mouth... Yep. It basically activates the sensory nerves of the mouth. Acting on the, the throat. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Basically, then... Uh, if you, you you either take it at the start of the race, you can take it when the cramp is obviously coming on, yep. or post okay. as well. So both those three, and basically it, when it's in the mouth, it then sends a signal through the spinal cord mm-hmm. to inhibit those overactive and control those overactive nerves signals, basically then bypassing and... Cramp, stopping the cramp. Stopping the cramp. Yeah. Mate, I'm, I'm, I'm a cramping specialist, so this will be unreal. All right. Yeah. Bottoms up, I reckon. Let's get it down. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that is powerful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They say it, you do get used to the taste. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, my eyes are watering. That's amazing. If that doesn't stop a cramp, nothing will... Oh well, yeah, but it's liquid gold. It works. Um, we, yeah, everyone that takes it is, uh, you know, whether you are swimming, right. all sports. We we sell we sell a lot to soccer teams, touch oh, teams yeah, yeah. Yeah, that are really. playing in the heat. They're playing long. Okay. They're playing game after game. Yep. Um, it's good for obviously swimming, water polo, any sport basically. Yeah. There is also an oral spray for non-related sport. Um, like night well, cramping, night cramping yep. okay. as well yep. but it comes in these little handy one satchels mm. 
or it comes in a bottle with three to four servings. So it's good if you're doing yeah, on an a ultra, bike, like an ultra where you can just take it out. You've got three and four servings in there. Yep. yep. And away you go, yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it does, it's better with a beer from the Sydney Brewing <laughs> Company after it just to wash it down. <laughs> it's got to be 12 o'clock somewhere, <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's unreal. Thank you for the uh, the shot. I'll be cramp-free for the rest of my work day. You're so will I. Got me out of health. Um, how are the uh, Running Matters podcast shirts going, mate? Are they flying out the door? They're flying out the door. They're gone. So there's been a second order put in okay. with uh, women's singlets about to hit the shelf. Okay. We well. had a few complaints about we the did. women's stuff. Yes, so yeah. So we're, we're trying to be a Me Too environment. Yeah. So we've done that. They're on their way. So they'll watch watch this space. Okay, good. good. And also with Christmas coming up, some uh, stubby holders. The Running Matters podcast like stubby, stubby holder. Yeah. If that's not the best stocking filler you've heard all day, yeah. I don't know what it is. So exciting, exciting things to happen. Unreal. So I, I guess the, the take-home message is get on down to Ranala for a bit of cramp fix. Try out the ASICS ride, glide ride, not glide ride, ride. glide yeah. ride, and pick up pick up a stubby holder and a, uh, and a shirt while you're there. Show your running matters pride. <laughs> <laughs> all right, mate, I'm going to try out these shoes again. Um, yeah, get some more K's done. So I'll uh, catch you at the store soon. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Sean. All right, we're back. Can uh, I just talk on Ranala too? Yeah, mate, yeah, of course. When Ranala opened, it was opened uh, opened by a guy called Brian Rule, who had the shop right underneath our um, first, our second gym okay. in Cronulla. And Rulee was a good mate of ours from uh, Cronulla Rugby League. That both what I want I used to work with, and then he sold it to Sean. Sean yeah. And they have looked after us ever since we've mm. like they give us twenty percent off yep. store wide for all our runners or all you know so. Um, and Shawnee's always looked after Ali and some of our top runners. Yeah. Um, and even Ali's been offered a couple of shoe sponsorships. And I've said to him, mate, Sean has given you such a good, mm. you know, he's looked after you so well. None of these running shoe companies will look after you as ever as good as Sean has. So yeah. he's a great guy and I've known him for probably 20 years. Mm. So uh, thanks, Sean. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Sean. He's a legend. Jenny too, mind you. Yeah, great people down there. Get up, get get down there and uh, grab your Running Matters podcast T-shirt, actually. There's only a couple left. New orders going in before Christmas. So, mate, your bio describes an enormous variety of sports people that you've coached over the years. So can you tell us the flat-out laziest group of athletes amongst them? <laughs> um, if we're talking stretching and flexibility... I would say runners. Okay. Particularly, uh, I'm going to go Stu. Stu Rennie. Rennie and, uh, <laughs> I've got a question about Stu. Yeah, and Elsie. Uh, very, very lazy in that department. Uh, <laughs> lazy. Well, there's a couple of cricketers that have been exceptionally lazy, uh, but they haven't tended to make it. Okay. Um, lazy. Mate, all the sportsmen I've worked with, you know, they don't work with a strength and conditioning coach if they're lazy. So... Um, I just prefer to talk about the positives. Um, well, that's the next question. So, yeah. who's pound for pound the fittest athlete you've ever looked after? Ooh, that's. Um, I had a boxer called Danny Vasquez who was same thing. You could do a like low thirties ten k, and he was just the machine. Amateur boxer, he ended up being state champ. Um, had like three different black belts in different martial arts. Yeah, right. So he he was pound for pound awesome. Uh, mate, I can't really go past Ali. He's a he's a freak. Um, but I've got to say, like I always say, there's a difference between a professional athlete and a national athlete that gets paid mm. for sport. 
um, yeah. because I've got a heap of – and I'll go back to my beach runners. There's going to be no money in it for them. Mm. There's no chance to represent Australia. They can win an Australian title or a world title, which many of them have done. Um, and they just – mate, they, they train as hard as anyone I've ever – I've ever coached because running's bloody hard. Running on soft sand's even harder. Um, and they just every week turn up, every day turn up. You know, they um, one of them, little Chloe Gentle, she's doing her HSC, about to start her HSC, and she'll come on a Sunday morning at six so she can get to the library all day to study. You know, and, and it's six days a week they're, they're turning up. So that's professional. You know? Well, that, that's right. So when someone says they're professional and they train a couple of days a week and, the, you know, I've got to, I go to the pool, that's a session. No, that's not a session, bro. That is part of your recovery, which isn't a session. That's just something you need to do. So week after week after week, day after day after day, I, I like the guys that work really hard. And we've got a guy, Jimmy Arnold, who's just debuting for Sutherland today, okay. cap number 275. Very good. Scored 200s in the first three games. But he drives out to Blacktown on a Wednesday to train with Neil DaCosta, who's... Yep. Michael Clark's coach, he'll bat for four four hours. Hmm. Comes to me four or five times a week on top of his cricket training to do his gym, to do his running, to do his speed. And, you know, he's a guy that he may never make professional cricket, Hmm. but he's just made first grade and he's going to get the absolute best out of himself. And same with Tom Pinson from Sullivan Cricket. So it's really good but mix of guys from different sports that work really hard. They train as hard as professionals, but they're not yet. So... They're the ones I like to see because they're doing it for the love of it mm. and for the potential of it. They're not doing it because they get paid and they have to do it and they whinge and bitch and moan. So they're the ones I like the best. So speaking about bitching and moaning, I guess, so you, you've, you've recently taken on a friend of the show, Stu Rennie at Jock Athletic. So what do you see as his main barrier to success? Is it poor <laughs> race psychology or his well-publicised battle with thumb tendonitis? <laughs> Well, along the lines, mate, I've never seen someone look at his watch more when he runs. Um, as I get annoyed with Elsie when she does and almost trips over someone in front of her. Um, but, yeah, he's and he's the one, you know, we're talking about stretching before. You know, he loves a chat, as you <laughs> may or may not know. I do, I do. Yeah. And, but when he chats, he can't do anything else while he's chatting. So he'll, he'll start a stretch and then someone will talk to him and he'll... Start waffling on about his arborist stuff, or who knows what it is. Yeah, yes, yes, that's been that. brought up a few times. But no, he's he's going well, mate. He's he's um he loves his running. He's so passionate about. It. He's doing his level two, I think, today. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's put me down as his mentor. Um, but he, unless he works on his flexibility and stretching, um, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to do it. Mate, I, I agree with you. He's a work in progress, Stewie. <laughs> mate, you've, you've famously kept a free training session at Cronulla Sandhills going for 20 years now. So why is that particular session so important for you? That's a good question. I mean, I started. we started it with Watto, Paul Watson, back in... Mate, we, we, don't, we can't remember the exact year. We think it was 91. Yep. Um, and there was a lot more sand in those days, I've got to say. Yeah, yeah. You actually run out all the way on the sand through where that Green Hills development is. Mm. Um, and we started at uh, Leanne Speechley, who both Paul and I went to uni with, was a top swim coach. And she said, I don't think you could say this anymore. She goes, the girls' asses are too fat. You <laughs> boys need to take them running three days a week during the holidays. The swimmers. The swimmers, yeah. Right. So, yeah, all right, um, And... One of those sessions was the Sandhills, and the kids loved it so much mm. that we just kept that one going. That was on a Saturday. It was actually at 6 o'clock in the morning in those days. I don't know who – it was probably Watto's idea. Um, 
and we kept it going, rain, hail or shine, whether it's Christmas days, whatever, and we'd always get someone turning up with us. And through the time when I was away with Australian cricket, what I would take it all the time. Mm. When what I was away, I'd take it. Mm. So there's always someone. And then your dad started very early in the piece too. And when um, his dad is actually Peter Hadfield, who was a real athlete. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Friend of the show, Peter yeah. Hadfield, yeah. Um, and uh, one of the girls at training the other day was going, oh, you know that old guy that takes... I said, yeah, the one that's been to two Olympics and three Commonwealth Games. She goes, has he been to Olympics? Not that that makes any difference, but wow. <laughs> so is it true that the only thing with more rich history than those Sandhill sessions is the pair of tights that Peter Hatfield <laughs> yeah. wears to said session? Or? He, he, he wore one of the original skins pairs we got him uh, back in... Way back when, 2001, I think. He's still got him in the... He's still pulling out 2001 ones out of the packet. But back to your Sandals question, why do we keep it going? Mate, we... I, I remember going for a run with my mate on the beach. Must have been 87, just when I finished school, and um, and seeing Mark McGaw, Sparkles McGaw, the rugby league player, running on the soft sand out to Boat Harbour, and, and everyone else was running on the hard sand. I said, oh, why is he doing on the soft sand? Oh, he just likes it because it's harder and... Thought oh harder that's a good idea, yeah. and I, I don't know. We just we've we all had an affinity with running on the sand, and then the sandals was harder than that. So we were always after what's the hardest thing we can possibly do. And um, the first time I went there, what I goes come with me. I've got the sharks. We take him out to sandhills, um, and I'd been doing a lot of four hundred meter training, getting ready for the start of the sprint season. And I thought I'm going to take on ET. I'm going to smash him. I'm going to beat him. Nice. And anyway, we we've jogged out. I had cricket that day, mm-hmm. so we jogged out gone out in the first hill I've gone right out and I, I took off as fast as I could and I beat everyone up there I'm going and I started going a bit dizzy I'm going hey, what was that and what I go yeah that was a good warm up one one more warm up one and then we'll get into the main set I'm going you're joking are you and um, after two mate I felt sick and uh, and so it's that's how it started and, and the second one ET just, just cruised past me and um, and that was before the hard stuff started so uh, yeah it was just a um, it's a, a beautiful place. It's a beautiful part of Australia, and um, you know it's near the beach, and I love the beach. So you know we've just kept it going, and you know I've had all different athletes I've ever trained out there. We we only do sandals once a week for those that are worried. I do that every session, um, but I, I, we take about fifteen sessions a week, yeah. and one or two of them are on sand. So don't be scared. Yeah, well. Pete Hadfield has treated it like church for the last 25 years. He just wouldn't miss it. It sounds just like an amazing session. So get on down, guys. Cronulla yeah. Sandhills, Saturday I, morning. I think, too, it's it's 7 a.m. and everyone's welcome. But I think what it is is we, we have such a good time out there. And most of our athletes say that's their favourite session. But it's also probably a harder session of yeah. the week. But I don't know what it is about there. Just a good culture, a good feeling. And you go for a swim at the beach afterwards. But, mm. you know, it's... It, and we've got this saying, it never rains at Sandhills. So if you go down there and it's raining, it'll stop and the heavens will open up and the sun will come out just for the Sandhills. Just like church. There yeah. you go. So, mate, we've, we've interviewed an athlete of yours, Ali, recently. So he described your relationship as... So, sorry, who's he? Uh, he, he? He's a beach sprinter. He might be world champion. Oh, right. World record holder. I'm not sure about Never that. heard of him. <laughs> so, anyway, he's described your relationship as more of a father-son than a coach-athlete relationship. So, what's it like to have such a close sort of connection with an athlete like that? Mate, it, this is a really interesting one. Um, and at, I did my level four athletics about oh, four or five years ago. 
I can't remember when. I'm old, so I forget things. But one of the coaches there said, you know, you've got to realise you're your athlete's only coach. You might have a lot of athletes, so you've got a lot of different relationships, but you're their only coach. So often they think you're closer um, than you really are. Mm-hmm. And and I, I found that really funny, a really strange thing to say. He also said, you know, I don't really pay much attention to that. And I thought, well... Every athlete is special to me, and the ones you see every like in, the ones you see every day and two times a day every week of the year, you know better than most of your extended family. Yeah. Like the only people I would know better would be my my actual family. Mm. Um, so you be I, like for me, I become really close with them, and I think that's important. Like, and you know, you're spending a lot of time with them, and I think if you're not, you know, you're their coach, but you're also their friend, their mentor, their you know, you whatever you whatever they need from you, that's what you are for them. So I'm really close with a lot of our athletes, and and as they grow up, when you see them grow up from a little kid to an adult, they become very important to you. And and so, yeah, it, it's it's a really special relationship with not just Ali, but with a lot of my athletes. So you, I was trying to think of it the other day. What is it? What is it like? Is it, are you like their uncle? Are you like their father? Or like their brother? What, what is it? And I don't know. I think it's you're their coach, mm-hmm. and I think it, that is a massive part of their life. And we try to make it a massive positive part of their life. Mm-hmm. So, because I know if they're happy and we can help them be happy, getting them a job, helping them out with the decisions, with you know what course they should do, or or just giving them advice when they need it, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a really important part of it. And, and I sort of see. And you, you've spoke to Rory Darkins, who worked for us and is a great mate of ours and I had since he was a 19-year-old athlete. Mm. You know, it, it's the if they're happy off the field, they're happy on the field. And um, and I think, you know, you're a big part of that and, and it's got to be a positive place or why would they come back? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's And, and so he, he's recently become a world record holder, I believe. So what, what was the story there? Yeah, it's um, well. Interestingly, he's obviously very good on sand. Um, being a four-time Australian champ and a um, you know a world champ, um, but there was no uh, Pat Farmer, the great ultra runner. Yeah, we had Pat on the show actually. Oh, did you? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Very impressive man. Yeah, he's, he's well, he's been fantastic. With us. I've met him quite a few times, and he's been very helpful. And he's really trying to help Ali. Mm. Um, and anyway, we. Ooh, excuse me. It's, the, it's that the glamorama. It's the glamorama beer, the how, summer ale. How are you enjoying the summer ale? Really good. I don't know how you got it here so cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's what we're doing on a Saturday afternoon. Mm. Um, and so with Pat, he put on this uh, event called Quicksand oh, three or four years ago, and and asked me if Ali could do it. And Ali had a big race. I think we were going to Hamilton Island where. He was actually getting paid to go up there and the Sundays thing, yeah, yeah. which is, was great fun. And and uh, Pat said, "Look, can you send him to my race, which is on the same day? I'm trying to get this series up." And and Pat's really pushing for this soft sand series, which mm. you know we're all for surf lifesavers and yeah. Um, and so Ali went and did it, and he won won the half marathon by you know country mile. And and Pat said, "Do you want to keep going and do the marathon? You're you're way ahead." And he mm. said. Well, I'm actually in the middle of Ramadan, Pat, so I'm not allowed to even drink during the day, so half a marathon will probably do me. Yeah, well. And uh, so anyway, he's, Pat was trying to get this series up, and he rang and said, look, I'm going to do this uh, marathon. And mm. before I knew it, Ali said, mate, I've just signed up to do Pat's marathon on the sand. I went, 
Okay, well, I think that's probably going to push Melbourne out of the Melbourne Marathon out of yeah, the equation. Right. Yep. Um, and we looked at, we said, well, let's look to see if there's actually a world record for soft sand running mm. marathon. And we couldn't find it. We contacted Guinness Book of Records, and there wasn't. So, but you've got to jump through hoops, and you've got to send them all the information. If you want to pay a lot of money, you can get it fast tracked and approved. Mm. But we believe he's run the fastest time ever recorded in a soft sand marathon. You know, the Manly's had a soft sand marathon and his time was faster than anyone that's done it there. Mm. Um, so we think it is. It was nowhere near the time he wanted. It was really windy and he really struggled the last 10Ks into the wind. And uh, I've never seen him so much pain. He burst blood vessels in his eye from pushing so hard. Pretty. So, yeah. Wow. I flew for the first sort of 25Ks and then just hit a massive... He actually hit the wall, and he said it was the Great Wall of China. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we think it is, but we're still gathering all the information that Guinness needs, mm-hmm. and then we'll send it through. And um, they've been really good. They've given me a lot of information, said it's a worthy one, and we think it is a world record. But you've got to send us all this information, and yeah, yeah, yeah. so that'll come. But um, you know, that's that'll take time. Okay. Yeah. And for anyone out there who's looking to have a crack at said record, what, what time did he make? It was three hours, 50 something. So we're aiming for three hours okay. and he was well on track for it. But, um, yeah, as I yeah. mentioned, he was yeah. running slower than, um, my grandmother yeah. in the end. Uh, <laughs> but mate, he was, I've never seen him in such a big ward of hurt. Okay. Um, and I've got to thank all our other runners who stayed around and, um, one of them had been crook and he, he did a 5K and he was about to go for a swim. I said, Zach, mate, I know you want to go for a swim, but your mate needs you right now. Mm. Can you jump in and just run run with him and just encourage him along and maybe give him a wind block a bit? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So then half our runners jumped back in after their race and, and helped him through. And even his mother, who's barely been a race, jumped in for the last 500 metres. That's unreal. So, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. It was a great day. Oh, that's very cool. Very cool. Uh, so... I've been reading a little bit about a new event coming up with uh, Surf Life Saving this summer called the Iron X. Can you describe this one for us? Uh, well, it's probably not uh, really my area. It's that that's a uh, that's the Ironman, and so what they're trying to do is the fastest growing racing in the world is obstacle racing. Yep. Um, and I think it's gone from two hundred fifty thousand to well over four million around the world right. of, of participants. Um, and so surf life saving, uh, like every sport, are struggling to with their numbers. Mm. Um, and it's happened across the board. Cricket, soccer, rugby, um, everywhere is reducing in numbers at the at the sort of higher level because yep. um, there's so much variety around. So surf life saving, trying to get that, you know, market from outside surf life saving to come and have a go and, mm. and potentially join in because it's, you know, a charity first. It's looking after the... The community and rescues, which you know we've done several as runners um, at training um, first, and then the sport is actually to keep you fit for that. As they keep drumming into me at my club, yeah, they still want results. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. um, so that's where that's come from. And, and I'm of a different opinion. A lot of the athletes are, uh, as I say, bitching and moaning, which seems to be a thing. Um, Athletes bitching and moaning. Yes. Um, Well, in surf lifesaving, historically, that's been the case. Yeah, right. Um, But I sort of think, well, why don't you? There's money involved and good money. Why don't you get ready for that sport, win it, and win some of that money? So we had a different one. And so I I like the concept. Mm. Um, They've still got their Ironman series, but this is trying to 
get a new market and give them something different. So at the Cool and Get a Gold this year, which is a phenomenal race, it's like the Surf Life Saving Marathon. It's forty, I think forty three or forty seven k's of board paddling, ski paddling, swimming, running, mm-hmm. and just the phenomenal athletes. They are unbelievable. Like I've trained a few for that, um, and it's just a the most magnificent race. But alongside that, they put in this Beach Warrior, which was a soft sand race. Um, with 25 obstacles in it. Okay. And we took all of our runners. We support it. Surf Life Saving said, Jock, can you bring your runners, support this race because we're trying to get this market and promote Surf Life Saving to the world and get more people. Mm-hmm. And so we did it and got prepared for it as best we could. Never done obstacle racing before. And yeah. our runners just cleaned up. Ali won the men's. Jess Phelps at 16 won the women's. Um, they had a Spartan warrior that had also been on Ninja Warrior and was talking herself up before the race. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 16-year-old schoolgirl Jess beat her. And, yeah. Um, it's because Ninja Warrior is overrated for anyone <laughs> out there listening. Yeah. Thanks. No, no, yeah. I, I, I think they're all fantastic because it's just bringing in more more sport to TV, more athleticism to TV yeah. and um, and really promoting active lifestyle. So. But it was just great to see our guys do so well. And, and so I took that tact as well. Let's get ready for this race. It's not just an out-and-out 4K soft sand run. It's a run with obstacles. It was great fun. It was really, really hard, um, but something we just loved. And they made Ali an ambassador for the race. So, that's cool. Um, you know, a kid that's come from nowhere, couldn't even swim, hmm. um, learned how to swim through uh, Simo at um, Cronulla Swim Complex. Hmm. His first bronze medallion course, he had to. He was doing breaststroke, and then he he held on the boy, boy at the back because he was so scared. Swim there. Yeah, yeah right. and so he had to do it again, but got through it. Hmm. And now he's an ambassador for Surf Life Saving Australia. And and in this has only been on Friday. I got the email. Um, me and him are going, or him and I, however you say it, I don't know. If syntax guys will get me on that one. <laughs> um, Jimmy will sort that out. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're going to be introduced to the Prime Minister and and Cabinet oh, wow. at Parliament yeah. um, as you know, as, as someone in surf life saving that's done phenomenally well. Um, not only his performance, but a Lebanese boy, Muslim, that's you know learned how to swim and mm. and actually doing great things in the community. So um, you know that that's where it can get you, and and that's so I, I see the sort of Ninja Warrior, not Ninja Warrior, Beach Warrior, and Ironman X as Hopefully, bring in extra um, surf lifesavers, yeah, yeah. and just and for us, it gives us another race. Like yeah. we don't have enough races, so mm. yeah, unreal, mate. And, and so, what's what's next on the agenda for you guys at uh, at Jock Athletic? Then, what, what races you guys got coming up? Um, well, it's just constantly like on Wednesday, we've got our, the, our juniors are in the state athletics all schools, and you know we just got constant races. I'm constantly going to carnivals during the year, yeah. and. Um, and then there's Surf Life Saving have put on a Surf Life Saving Sydney is sponsored by the Sydney Airport mm-hmm. and so they're closing down a tarmac and we're actually doing a K race wow. on the 23rd of November yeah okay. it's, it's phenomenal like, how good um, so it's the fastest K these guys will ever run yeah um, nice tailwind organised yeah for them, hopefully <laughs> and jet airplane pushing us along <laughs> um, but they've got they've, they've got categories so uh, the three-minute K runners and below, they've got to go first because they've only got three minutes to get through before the plane lands. Fitting so them in between landing. No, I'm talking shit. Holy oh, yeah. crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what I've been telling him. But, uh, yeah, so that that's – and then we just got our local carnivals. But, 
you know, I think Ali and a few of them are doing the Shell Harbour half marathon and okay. sort of building for another marathon. So we've got, you know, a, an amazing variety of, you know, all our cricketers are obviously playing grade cricket mm-hmm. now and some are playing international cricket and um, uh, state second eleven cricket. So there's 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 so much going on for us mm-hmm. that's really difficult to keep up, but we do our best and. Um, yeah, and obviously national athletics. You know, late this I think it's December. Yeah. Um, and then the summer season, like it just never stops for runners, as you know. There's yeah. always something, and there's always cool. someone doing something. So, if a couple of our guys are doing six foot track, I think okay. they were talking about that. Um, and then you know they've got the surf season, athletic season, which run sort of parallel. Mm-hmm. And so last year nationals athletics was the same time as national surf. Mm. This year it's different, so a lot of our runners can do both. Can so, do both. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but then we've got. You know, Jane Vidage just rejoined and she just wants to be able to run to Boat Harbour and back. So, okay. you know, and then your dad, you know, he's still turning his legs over and doing the uh, Masters Surf Lifesaving. Yeah, mate, just got, got him involved. So, really, really good. Yeah, are you guys off to the uh, the World Championships for the, the relay or what's going on there? Well, yes, uh, some idiot dropped the baton last year. Um, <laughs> don't know, I can't remember who that was. That's part of being old. Um, I've put the... The good thing about me is I forget things and I forget all the negative things and I only think of the good things. So, uh, yeah, the worlds are in Italy next year, um, in Riccione. Um, and so, yes, we're definitely going to that one. The, okay. the worlds for surf life saving are every two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ali keeps telling me he's never doing this, he's never doing that, he's not doing a surf life saving again. But somehow he keeps coming. It's like the Mel thing, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Did you enter me? You know? So. Yeah, I can't give them away. <laughs> yeah, that's unreal. So that's that's next for you, just to build up to. Ah, uh, yeah, it's just as I say, there's constant races, constant cricketers to get ready, constant stuff with bowl fit. Like it, it's a, uh, you know, we're always busy. I've got a very understanding wife. I'm a training all all afternoon and night, every night of the week, um, and then Saturday, Sundays. So it's pretty much seven days a week. But the good thing is, we love what we do, and. Yeah, yeah. I just somehow ended up at Caringborough Oval this afternoon, this morning, to see Tom Pinson bowl and Jimmy Arnold in his first first grade game. Unreal. Um, and you know that's what we try and do. We try and get around to whatever carnals we can and whatever races we can. We can't get to all of them, but we do our best. Mm. And you know, I think that it just shows our athletes a little bit of support, and they think you know we're worthy of you guys turning up. And even it's one comment or one little mm. thing that we can add that gives them a bit more confidence. Yeah. It's like you know. Um, Al Bundy in uh, Modern Family. When he's in Modern Family, he says, "90% of being a good parent is just showing up," and, and that's the same with the coach. You know, you're just there to give support, yeah, yeah. Uh, encouraging word, and often when we yell out at our runners or our cricketers, it helps us, but doesn't help them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes us feel a bit yeah, better. Well, you got to do that too. <laughs> yeah, you got to yeah. do that too. Well, mate, thank you so much for fitting us into that hectic schedule. Uh, been great to chat about all things running, coaching, what have you. Uh, I'll just remind all our listeners to subscribe to Running Matters Podcast to get the next episode straight away. And uh, we'll see you out there on the trails, guys. Thank you, Jock. Um, can I just add one thing in? Of course. Uh, the, what my, uh, my availability here was brought to you by. Yeah. Well, my availability was brought to you by New Zest Protein Powder and uh, <laughs> Red Bull uh, as an ambassador. 
Uh, also, um, skins. Uh, Adidas Eyewear Australia. There you go. And Ranala, of course. Yep. Don't forget Ranala. And look after them. Hydrolite AU. Thanks, Burnsy. Okay. I'm Brad Burns. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, good fella, Brad. Good. We should get him to chat uh, about some sponsorship for the, the podcast. Yeah. That's a lot of sponsors. Well, it is, it is. And you know what? They've been <laughs> with us forever. Oh, Crust Cronulla, I forgot that. <laughs> so uh, we'll organise you a meal at Crust Cronulla. Yeah. Um, they've always looked after us. They train with us and, um, you know, they're punishers at training, I've got to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, they've been really good to us. They've been really good to our athletes. So, great pizza. Um, yeah. Great. Great pizza. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> See you, mate.